0: So it seems like all these kids must have gone to the uh, early service because we are going to talk about snakes. (laughs) What's up with that? Um, And you're thinking, why are we talking about snakes on Easter Sunday? Well, read the letter at the beginning of the bulletin, uh, and that will explain it to you, or not. I'll explain it to you later just stick with me, but it it connects. So um, we've been looking at the book of Numbers, the Old Testament book of Numbers, and just because it's Easter Sunday doesn't mean we shouldn't look at Numbers anymore, especially when the text from Numbers connects to Easter, right? So um, let me read to you uh, 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 Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 to 9. That text is in the bulletin and also up on the screens behind me. This is the word of God, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by by the way of Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them. And their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Ormah. And from Mount Hor they set out by the way by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. So this, this should, if you know anything about the story, they're headed back to the Red Sea, right? They they crossed the Red Sea, right? They they but now they're heading back. And the reason why they're heading back is because remember last week they they negotiated to go through the country of Edom, and Edom said. You can't do that. So they've got to go back towards Egypt to head back around to get where they're going. That's important. Uh, that's a, that's a, a important to note. And the people became impatient on the way. Yet again, another reason why we should believe the Bible is because it provides an accurate description of people, right? So the people became impatient on the way and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. Now you should laugh at that. Did you, did you hear that sentence? Sounds like, sounds like people I know, right? There's no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food, right? Um, If you're a parent, you have that experience all the time. Mom, can I have something to eat? Yeah, help yourself to what's in the refrigerator. There's nothing in the refrigerator, right? Right? Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many uh, people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we've sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Um, I grew up uh, in rural North Carolina on a farm, and from uh, my earliest days, from about the time I was about six years old, where I could actually do work, we I, I worked on the farm. And one of the things that we had to do, uh, my dad got in this big kick. He wanted to have a lot of cows. So at one point, uh, when I was about eight or nine years old, we had about 75 head of cattle. And so my job every day, my brother and I were supposed to go and lay eyes on all 75 of them. We didn't always have to get them to the barn or anything like that, but we needed to see them to make sure they were, you know, being cow-like where they were supposed to be. And you may be thinking, well, you know, there's 75 cows, one cow looks like another. Well, no, they don't. They had names, personalities. Some of them I loved, some of them I hated, right? So, um, but we would go and do that. And one day, uh, we were, uh, we had, we had done our job. We'd located all the cows. We're coming back to the barn and, uh, a creek ran through the middle of our property and I was going across the creek and um, jumping from rock to rock, not paying a lot of attention to what was going on. And suddenly my brother is splashing all this water on me from behind. And when I turned around, I realized what had happened is as I walked from one rock to another, a, a water moccasin had struck at me, slid off the heel of my boot, and my brother was frantically dispatching the snake with a stick. Now I hope that doesn't offend you, because uh, I know some of you collect snakes and have them as pets. We have, you know, there's counseling available for uh, <laughs> for people like that, right? Um, I I I cannot I I've, I have a real phobia with snakes. I, I always have. I uh, don't like them. I know they serve a purpose and they're important. And it's good for them to be out there and for me to be here, right? As long as there's a distance, that's good. Marty and I had not been married very long. Uh, and, um, you know, one of the things that happens when you get married is you have to learn about how people sleep or they don't sleep. Well, when I'm under stress, I talk in my sleep. In fact, I shout in my sleep. I yell at people in my sleep. And so we had just settled in to sleep one night and uh, I've drifted off to sleep and I dreamed that there were snakes in the foot of the bed. And so I threw the sheet up. There's a snake! Never waking up, put the sheet back down and was still asleep. And she's like, where is it? Where is it? Get it out. Where is it? What's going on? Because she really thought. I, you know, there was a snake. I, she woke me up. Yeah. Yeah, we 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 still laugh about that. And uh, yeah, um, listen, you know, um, there is the Bible's really clear to us uh, about the nature of the personal evil that is at work in this world. Uh, he's sometimes called the devil, sometimes called Satan, but certainly what we read, as we'll see in a few minutes, that, uh, when, um, Adam and Eve, our first parents were tempted in the garden, that evil, that person came to them in the form of a snake, right? So, so we read this text today, uh, and we, we, we see this picture of the people of God having a great victory One of their very first uh, military victories. Things are going well for them. They're actually making progress, headed towards the promised land. They get impatient and they complain. Now, we've heard these complaints before. They complain like this all the time. You brought us out of Egypt to kill us. There's no water. The food is lame. We're impatient. Everything's lame. Bad, bad, bad. God, you're terrible. Moses, you're terrible. Everything is bad. Bad, 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 bad. So in the midst of this, the Lord is dealing with them. And one of the things that he does is he sends these snakes, which apparently in this particular area, there are a lot of snakes, uh, and they begin to bite some of the people. Now, when we when we hear this, uh, we may think, why in the world would God use snakes? Well, one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that these snakes are actually symbolic... Of the power of Egypt, right? If you've ever been to a museum, you've seen a mummy, you, you note that the, the headdresses often of pharaohs, right? They have a cobra on them, right? They, they have a snake right there. So it was a, it was something that was important and it was a symbol of power, uh, for, uh, the, the people of Egypt. And so, uh, how ironic God is sending symbols of the power, uh, that he has delivered them from. Uh, in them to tru- uh, uh, in their camp to trouble them, right? And so these would also have been symbols of bondage, right? That that the people who had enslaved them, the people who had them in bondage, you know, worshipped snakes, viewed snakes as a an emblem or a symbol of their power. And so, so what God's doing is, you want to go back to Egypt? This is what it's like. You want to go back to to putting yourself in bondage to what that was like here? This is what it's like, right? And so that's why he does this. It's not because he's, he's sitting around thinking, well, I've tried plagues, I've tried sinkholes, I've tried all these other things. Hey, let's give snakes a whirl, right? That's not, that's not, that's not what he's doing, right? He, he actually has a purpose here. And what we should see in this is, is something valuable. There's a spiritual lesson in that right there for us. And that is that when we decide, that the way that the Lord is taking us and the way that he is at work in our lives is no longer suitable and we want to do something else, the fact of the matter is what happens to us is we return to our places of bondage. We return to our places where where we are enslaved to sin, right? And so so what we have to, to see here is uh, that a lack of trust, and the way that God is taking them and what he is providing for them um, causes them to want to go back to, to the way things were. So next slide. Now, the thing that you have to see about this is um, is that every one of us has been snake bit. This snake, this serpent that, that tempted Adam and Eve um, has bitten us. The curse the fallenness of the world, the fact that there's hatred and violence, the fact that there is lust and coveting, the fact that there's envy, gossip, the fact all of those things are in our world uh, and they affect us and they impact us. It's as if we have been bitten by this very snake that approached our first parents in the garden. Remember, Genesis 3 tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. Okay? Verse 13 says, Then the Lord God, after he gets them to eat the fruit, the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. Right? And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. C.S. Lewis thinks that before the fall, snakes walked around on feet. Because he says here, now you're going to crawl on your belly. I don't know if that's true. I'm really glad they don't have feet to walk around. (laughs) Right? Of course, I guess, you know, they, they would be like puppies, right? If uh, it weren't for the curse, right? So I guess it would be okay. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, we've all been bitten by this snake. We've all have been affected by sin. We all have uh, uh, had this uh, uh, effect upon us and the fact is something must happen something must change and so so god determines right there in the garden that there's going to be an unremitting conflict uh, between his people and uh this this personal evil that is at work in the world and that it will culminate in a child coming from this woman uh an offspring of this woman who will then do the uh, terrible damage, this, uh, fatal damage to the serpent by crushing the serpent's head. Now, the serpent will bruise his heel. It will be costly. It will be painful. But Jesus will undo the work that the, the, that the serpent has done in our world. Now, a few years ago, uh, well, I guess it's more than a few years ago now. It's actually been quite a while. There was that crazy movie that... Um, Mel Gibson made um, the Passion of the Christ. Do you remember that movie? Some of you went to see it uh it was it was It was you know uh, who knew that the the high priest had such bad dental work you know you could always though it was clear in the movie who the bad people were because they needed better teeth really they They looked terrible well. There's an extra biblical thing. There's a thing that happens in the movie that's actually the best thing in the movie as far as I'm concerned. Jesus is struggling in the garden with his father. He's saying, let this cup pass from me, but, but not my will, but your will be done. And when he, when he crosses that threshold and he submits himself to the will of the father, you, the, the camera goes to the ground and the ugliest, nastiest snake you have ever seen in your life, comes slithering up uh, between his legs as he's standing there. And Jesus stomps on him and goes to the cross. You see, the thing that we have to, to, to understand about this and the thing that, that we must uh, see about this is, is that we've all been bitten by this snake our sin, our lusts, our addictions, all of those things are evidence of that. The fact that we die is evidence of that. And we must have someone to come and fight for us and undo the work that has been done in our world. And so these people here uh, in this camp, there in the Sinai desert, uh, plead to Moses, and Moses intercedes. And what God tells Moses to do is, for the people who have been bitten by the snake, make a bronze snake, stick it on a pole, hold it up, and tell everybody to look at it. And if you look at it, and you have been bitten by the snake, you'll be healed. Now, one of the things you may have missed when you read this text is... That God doesn't do what the people asked him to do. Did you note that? What, what what did they ask him to do, right? We have sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take the serpents away from us. He didn't. He doesn't take them away. He just simply provides a means of healing, Right? That's important, and that's that's worth noting when you look at at this this text because it's a good thing that God just didn't take the snakes away because if he'd just taken the snakes away, what would have happened? They would have died. (laughs) The the people that had already been bit by the snake, they're toast. It's over. So what God does is something better. He comes and he provides a means of healing. Now, now the thing that is... uh, uh, important to note too about this is, is that Moses makes a bronze snake, he puts it on a pole, and he tells the people to look at the snake. Now, note, he doesn't tell them to look to the snake for healing, he says simply to look at it. And that this is not magic. Ne- next slide. You know? Now this is one of these stories in the Bible that's always troubled me, right? Because God is preaching to his people over and over and over again, don't make images. Don't make idols. And don't worship them. And yet, in this pers- in this situation, he tells them to make a statue, to make an image of a snake, to hold it up on a pole, and to have the people look at it. What's he doing? Well, it's not unlike for us what happens when we see someone get baptized. It's not unlike what happens when we see uh, when we see the table and we eat the bread and we drink the cup, because these things are not magic these are not the things that save us they are uh, they they point to us they point out to us in faith what christ has done for us right that he washes us clean by his spirit and that and that his uh, sacrifice for us uh, that his his atoning death for us is what sets us free well that that's that's a lot of of what this looking at this snake is god says take me at my word believe in what i tell you and the evidence that you believe me will be that you will do what I've said. Look at the snake. And so they do. And the people that look at the snake, once bitten, get healed. Right? So, so the same thing is true for us. What, what, what Jesus is doing there in John chapter 3, as we've read, is he is telling Nicodemus to look at him, to see him, to understand him for who he is. So our pathway for healing, our pathway for doing damage to, to our enemy, the pathway for us to be set free is to look to Jesus, to take him at his word, to hear him, to see him, and to receive from him what it is that he has done for us. You see, this is the pathway to healing. It's not the pathway to getting rid of the snakes in your life. It's not the pathway to get out of the wilderness, but it is the pathway to healing, and it is the pathway to get to where God is taking you, right? So, so when we look in faith, when we simply look in faith to the one who forgives, heals, and restores, we have every reason for hope. Now, there is um, um, there's a real dearth of hope, I believe. I don't know that we are very hopeful people. We're managers. We are uh, good at grinding it out, but I think hope sometimes seems dangerous, seems silly, and seems a bit beyond us. Those of some of you are sitting here today, and you're lonely. Some of you are sitting here today and you are failing in your relationships. You are failing in your employment. You are failing, uh, as a parent. You're failing as a child. You're failing as a grandparent. You're failing. There's, there's, there's so much that uh, could be said of us that we're struggling. And so to hear words of hope and to look beyond where we are and, and to see uh, as we look in faith to this one who who lived our life and died our death uh, could change everything right we, we read as Joe read this morning in, uh, in the gospel accounts of the women who were early on the first day of the week going to visit a dead jesus don 't ever forget that. we think they 're going to see a risen jesus they 're not they think they 're going to see a dead jesus that 's why they have the spices. They think he stinks. Do you understand that? That's how dead he is. Can't get any deader. He's dead. Three days dead. He stinks in that climate. It's bad. And they're thinking, well, we got to put something on him to make him smell better. They're going to see a dead Jesus. And after all, they had heard him say on Good Friday, it is finished. Now, Now, we know what that meant. But to the ears of the people who watched Jesus die that day, what do you think they thought that meant? Oh, yeah, he's finished. Was he ever finished? Wow. And our hopes, they're finished. He's finished. It's over. He's finished. So they believed him. That's why they're going to see a dead man. They think he's still dead. Right? Next slide. But they're wrong, right? When Jesus said it is finished, what he said was, listen, what I am doing here, the life that I am living, the, the, the obedience that I have given to the law of God for my whole life, and the fact that now I am offering my life as a sacrifice, and at the end of that life, I can say it is finished. I have done what is required to save my people, now, now the thing that that you have to see about that is, is that um, if Jesus were still dead, if he was still dead, he would have set a great example for us of sacrifice. He would have he would have showed us in many ways what love is. But in truth, if he's still dead, it is a terrible example because because what he would have done is set this example for us. Done this thing where he died for us and yet there's no hope. There's no possibility of change that it just ends in death. But he's alive. And so, so what we, what we see here is that suddenly these words, it is finished, take on a whole new meaning. What it means now is that God has received that sacrifice and that the power of God was at work in him. The spirit of God was at work in him and raised him from the dead. And so, so what we, when Jesus says he's finished, it is finished. He's finished all those things that trouble you. He crushed the serpent's head. Now, he hasn't taken you out of the wilderness and he hasn't killed all those crazy snakes, but he owns you, you belong to him, and you have every reason to look to him and to entrust yourself to him. He's bore your griefs, they're finished. He carried your sorrows, they're finished. Right? That doesn't mean we don't grieve and that doesn't mean we don't sorrow, but those things no longer define us. That is not all I am is a grieving person. It is not all that I am that I'm a sorrowful person. It is all, all that I am is not somebody who just is prone and a victim of my addictions. He is wounded for our transgressions and they're finished. He was crushed for your iniquities and they're finished. Next slide. So tell your accusers, whether they're out here or they're in here, that it's finished. What about death? It's finished. What about the grave? It's finished. What about you sins? You threaten me with my past, but Jesus buried you. You're finished. So these things no longer define us and no longer are the powers over us. They are no longer the ones who hold us in slavery and in bondage. We have been delivered and we are on the pathway to the promised land because Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus said it's finished, but praise God, he's not finished. He tells us, and it is clear over these last two uh, millennia, that he is making all things new. He is making men and women and boys and girls, he is making them new. He is at work to make this universe new. He is changing things. So listen, if you're feeling the bite of that snake this morning, you are tempted to hopelessness. You are tempted to think that all you are will be an addict. All you are will be uh, someone just thrown about by your doubts and your lusts and your anger and your bitterness. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he is alive, he is making all things new. And we can trust him. We can look to him. We can find healing. We can find hope. We can find hope. All these other things, all these other people, That we believe and that we trust to give us hope and in death. But the hope that Jesus gives never ends because it leads to life. Hear now these words of institution uh, of the Lord's Supper. Therefore we proclaim the mystery of the faith Christ has died, Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins together uh, by using this confession that's printed in the bulletin. Almighty God, by the power of your spirit, you have raised Jesus from the grave and crowned him Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him or acknowledged his rule in our lives. We have often seen and followed ways that lead to death and failed to give him glory. Forgive us and raise us from sin that we may be your faithful people. Lift our eyes to look upon our Savior that we might live. Help us to see Jesus Christ who rules all things and is head of the church, his body. Amen.